I've always been driven by the belief that business is the most powerful vehicle of change we have at our disposal. And businesses in just about every sector are attracting customers because they successfully balance purpose and profit. Because they, like me, believe the world needs to transition to a kinder economy. And in a market where customers are making more informed decisions about how and where they spend their money, now more than ever, businesses must re-evaluate what their license to operate really is. I'm Nick Hunter, CEO and founder of B Corp creative agency Paper Moose. And for years, I've been obsessed with navigating that perfect balance between purpose and profit. We call it the mucky middle. Welcome to my podcast, where I chat with successful business leaders about how they navigate the challenges that come with finding their own balance, and hopefully learn how to be a better and more conscious business owner along the way. Today's guest is Andy Wright, CEO of Streamtime, where we talk about building more mentally healthy businesses and how his personal mission stemmed from his experience running several creative agencies. This is The Mucky Middle. Tell me a little bit about like young Andy, like what did you want to be when- Young Andy? Yeah, when you were a boy, what did you want to be? A journalist. I wanted to be um, Scott off of Neighbours. Yeah. Which, you know, Neighbours was big in England back then. And, uh, but I wanted to be a journalist because I thought that was pretty cool. I even got a bit of work experience at a paper and I was a tennis coach. Yeah, tennis coach was good at uni. It was better than a bar job because you got paid like five times as much as everybody else. And uh, which led to my nickname being Bill Gates, I think at one point in our house. And then I fell into this like world of marketing and brand and creativity because um, I coached this guy's kids who helped me get a job at Dulux in um, closer to London in Slough, unfortunately, was where Dulux was based. And yeah, that's how I got into marketing. And then after doing that for a little bit, got into, uh, wanted to be in London, didn't want to be in Slough and got a job with an internet company Lycos and then um, moved from there to Ask Jeeves and then met my now wife and came to Australia. Yeah, but then I got opportunity and it was who you know, like my my wife was working next to somebody else at Westpac and her husband or her partner worked at um, Landor and I got into branding, you know, from agencies back into client side marketing for a bit, um, back into agencies, starting an agency with... um, Jason Little and Damien Borchock at For The People, um, coming out of that and moving to a client that, you know, was a completely different client experience to work with from an agency perspective. And we talked for a good one or two years about like, hey, come on over and run my business. Mm. And I was like, oh, I don't know, software company. It's also just blokes. Like it's, <laughs> it literally was at the time. And also it's just, you know, it's one brand. Will I be able to do that? Will I get bored? Uh, ultimately, best decision I ever made. Awesome. And and talk to me about uh, your interest in, in mental health as well. Hmm. So whilst I was at For The People, I got diagnosed with anxiety and depression. And I guess that was back in, when was that? 2016-ish, when still, you know, like we're not really talking about mental health. People don't really know what it is. There's a bit of an interest in it starting to happen um, we hadn't have the, had the things that really caused poor mental health outcomes, mm. right? And for me to try and understand it, I turned it into a, a project. So I was like, you know what? The best way for me to do this is like, let's turn it into a, a, some sort of strategy around how am I going to deal with this and what is it? And I remember at the time as well, I was asked to do a Creative Mornings talk. And the Creative Mornings theme was risk. 
And I thought, okay, well, there's nothing more risky than mm. suddenly doing a presentation on my mental health. Yeah. And that kind of kicked it all off, really. And the reason that it turned into more of a project and the reason that I think I've gone down the path with it that I have is the reaction I got from doing that presentation. And I found that there were some people that, you know, maybe I hadn't seen for years or I used to work with, and some people I didn't know at all, who then came up to me at the end of the session and said, oh, thank you so much for talking about that because I've been feeling the same way. And so you suddenly found a bit of this kind of camaraderie and feeling like, oh, wait a minute, this isn't so unusual. Mm. But then there were also people that I saw every single day who never mentioned it again. And, you know, at that point in time, that's like, that's no one's fault. It's like, how do we deal with it? Mm. Like, what, I, I just don't know what to say to you. uncomfortable at that point. Yeah. yeah. And so it led to kind of really weird, awkward moments and references to it now and again, but without really giving it any kind of credence or valid validity. And so, yeah, so then when I, when I left the agency and I'd moved, you know, I didn't have that kind of frantic, you know, oh, client needs this, client needs that. We've got to be running around and, you know, always always busy I was a little bit more in control of my own destiny and I said well the best way to try and look at this is to quantify it and I was at purpose conference uh which is where we caught up recently but this was you know three or four years ago and Jay Lee Skian who was the director of Every Mind who are a sort of government agency that does research and programs into mental health and tackling suicide issues uh, she was talking about some mental health research they'd just done with small businesses across Australia. And so I just, I called her up afterwards and said, hey, can we go for breakfast? I would love to use your survey for the creative media and marketing industry. And she said, yes. And so we collaborated on like a couple of waves of research. Mm. Um, and I guess the, the immediate thing was that nearly 2,000 people participated in this research, which is enough to just say, hey, this hey, is important. There's a thing here, yeah. And then, you know, we did find that, you know, more than half of the industry at that time was showing signs of anxiety and depression and stress. Um, and that's when, yeah, that's when it sort of just snowballed then. It's like all these people said, well, we want to do something about this. How do we get involved? Um, we were partnering with Unlimited and... Um, Batir had helped us at the beginning as well. Great organization. And we just said, let's get all these people together and let's try and do something. Um, and we imaginatively called ourselves the Mentally Healthy Change Group, <laughs> which in hindsight should, could have been much, much better. One of the first things we did was write minimum standards for mental health. Um, a lot of them actually were just employment law, mm. right? But, you know, when you start a business or if you're working in this industry, we don't have people with like, MBAs in business, right? Yeah. Uh, we have people who are creatives, usually, who have turned into business owners um, and don't go reading the manual. No, figured it out in the way. Exactly. And so there are a few things that I guess we've been able to translate for people to understand that like, hey, this is sort of the bare minimum you need to have from a, a mental well-being perspective if you're running a business. So we've had over 170 businesses sign those minimum standards. Um, we've done more research. We've put in place um, event, monthly events like asking for a friend where anyone anywhere can ask a question about career or mental health to an industry leader and a psychologist anonymously. What, what was the biggest surprise in terms of what people are asking for? I think the biggest surprise often is just that there's clearly a theme, mm. right? Like the, the, there's not random stuff. So, you know, we've done them before where like pitching, Okay, so 
the the constant and incessant kind of dedication to pitching and how that's not scheduled mm. right like really like it's no one makes a an allowance for it you know it's just that not we've got this work anyone. we've yeah. been given a brief we, we could win this you know it's the next big opportunity it's always the next big opportunity right and so then bang people are um working late working weekends or like even just the mental load and emotional um, demand of pitching, which I loved, right? But constant, mm. it's just not bearable. There's an, agencies have no strategy around that and they just keep, like we all just keep doing it. it it's hard without actually everyone being united and saying, mm-hmm. well, we're not going to do this. We're going to have a series of three workshops and yeah. that's what you get. And everyone's going to be working within within hours and no w- weekend work because um, everyone has to be kind of united in, in that yeah. to, 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 to basically tell clients no. <laughs> so um, tell me about like the jump from, I guess, managing creative businesses to managing stream time. Like how has that differed in, in... It's like an ice bath into like a nice warm bubble bath. No, it's... Uh, <laughs> I love baths. But... Um, <laughs> Do you know what? It was like also moving into something that's just a little bit more, I don't know, grown up as well, right? Mm. Like you you can plan out your future and what you want to achieve. Like there's so many unknowns in a services-based business, right, mm. where you've, you've got to constantly look for whatever is next on the horizon. One of the biggest things as a software business is we've got recurring revenue. Mm. So basically that's everyone's on retainer, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, and... It's scalable. It's a scalable business model. Mm. If you're telling time by the hour, which I know we have a project, a product that you know facilitates that, <laughs> yeah. um, it's it's not scalable to the heights of you know being able to grow a really fantastic, profitable business. Mm. And I think there are ways that services businesses can get to that point. But you know, if predominantly you're working off number of hours times a rate, then you're always going to be stuck by the number of people that you have. And you're talking about like value-based pricing. Yeah, that kind of yeah. Thing. yeah. Um, that and, you know, we set our own deadlines. We decide the direction of the, of the company we want to go in. So with Streamtime, I guess, we've, we've also gone through this transition where, you know, it's privately owned for years, um, 20 years, in fact. And then just last year sold to a, a sort of private equity um, VC business that buy software companies. Mm. Um, and it's changed quite a bit about the business. I don't think it's changed much on the surface, but it's changed the opportunity. It's changed the ambition um, and the way that we can work mm. and allows us to, I think I, I have, I had a lot of freedom. There's different times of different types of freedom, though. Mm. Um, freedom to do whatever you want as long as you made the number versus freedom to build a much bigger, stronger business that sometimes may need investment in order to be able to do that. Mm. Right. And so that's been the exciting thing about the last sort of year, year and a half, which is going, well, you know, where do we want to take this business and how far? can we push this idea of, and we'll probably talk about a bit more, but like we want to create happier, healthier businesses. Mm. And it's based on, you know, 
research is based on you know that mentally healthy research my own experiences in businesses the fact that i know i've not run businesses brilliantly um and that now i've seen how so many other people do it Mm. both good and bad and that's that freedom is is great and i think people really appreciate that and we do we do so much with so little Mm. that i'm always amazed and just this morning we like we're setting our objectives for this quarter um and you know people have a say they they you know we, we let's be realistic like you know what i can't do that this quarter so and so's away this is happening push that to next quarter okay yeah cool let's 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 set ourselves up for success rather than setting ourselves up for failure yeah and you know if you go back to that idea of the running an agency so often it's based like all your budgets are based on this ideal right of Mm. 80% utilization this much new revenue this much to keep people in the building whatever it is however you build it but it's flawed on day two (laughs) yeah it's constantly evolving and changing exactly yeah yeah it's great fun um (laughs) yeah i'm I'm super envious of your uh uh in in you know unlimited ability to scale because 100 percent like we've been trying to play with the idea of value press pricing and getting off the not to get off time shooting but because it's important to understand how the business is profitable and projects are being profitable but um yeah really understanding our value and being able to scale beyond you know the 30 people in the building it's a because we we started with you know five founders and have grown it to what it is today but it's taken 12 years and you know we're at that point where it is a really difficult gear shift to you know 50 to 100 all of that kind of thing it's a big yeah the big changes in in a business's evolution yeah yeah so so give us a little um can you give us a a breakdown of stream time just tell us a little bit cool so stream time i guess we like you said it earlier we sit in that project management category we don't have all the project management features, right? Like, so we don't do like client communication, file sharing, revisions, all that kind of stuff. Um, but we do help you manage a creative business. So that's everything from when you get a brief, you plan the job, you look at the resource you want on it, you look at the process you want to go through, um, you put the, the hours, the rates, whatever you want, fixed price, value-based pricing, all of those things can go into it. You send, turn that into a quote, send it off to a client, client says yes, track all that all the way through, send it off to Zero, QuickBooks, whatever you need to, and then start planning and managing the job and start scheduling your team, make sure you've got enough time, make sure um, that the deadlines are realistic, track that over time, get an idea of on the job page, like, you know, how the job is burning up or down in terms of um, whether you're on track or not, and then start reporting on, you know, are we making the right amount of money for the right amount of effort? Mm. that we're putting into and are we happy doing it so you know the happy part's important it's an it's a newer part to the product mm. but it's a really key bit i believe in terms of running a successful business mm. so you're going to bring an enps kind of inside yeah so we have a happiness score in stream time at the moment how have i missed we probably uh, it's been in pilot so oh, okay, maybe we, just, okay. we might just need to turn it on for you yeah, yeah. um so it was built in conjunction, and they've changed their name a few times, I feel, but uh, it was the Future of Work Institute. I think it's now the Center for Transformative Work Design, and they've built this framework called the Smart Work Framework. It looks at five key pillars, which are based on S-M-A-R-N-T. So one is stimulation. 
So how stimulating is your work? One is mastery. So can you achieve like what you think you can achieve, like based on mm. your skills and are you like able to challenge yourself? Um, A is agency. So how much autonomy do you have over the work that you do? R is relational support. So what sort of support pillars are there around you in doing your, in your business? And also um, how much of, do you feel like you're contributing in terms of like relationship with the outside world or the society or the community that you're working within? And then tolerable demands. Hmm. And tolerable demands are both emotional and time-based. And so, you know, there's the obvious time one, which is utilization capacity, all that kind of stuff. But there's also then emotional, right? Hmm. So if you've just been going hammer and tongs 120% for the last five weeks, is this realistic? Like, you know, we're not in an extreme sport here. Yep. At least we shouldn't be. And so when you're in, in the execution of that within the product is your last to do, which is the way that we do timesheets, um, we say we don't do timesheets, of course. It's just to do, to done. So you drag your task down, logs the time on the job. It's all done magically. No looking up job numbers or silly things like that. And uh, the last to do on your week on a Friday, and we'll move it to Monday if you haven't done it on Friday, is, hey, how was your week? Mm-hmm. How are you feeling? And so you give a emoji level of happiness because emojis. And alongside that, you say, Why? And is it because of one of these five pillars? <clears throat> Stimulating, mastery, agency, relational support, tolerable demands. And yeah, we've now got a, quite a lot of data points on this. I love that you're building it also into the software that is also looking at profitability and everything yes. else. So it becomes a, a very clear mit because we have a pulse survey that we run you know, quarterly to basically on this, those same metrics, yeah. uh, we'll definitely have to activate that yeah. in, in stream time because so, that's awesome. And that's what we wanted to do is like we don't want this to become an extra exercise no. or another system that you have to buy in because then it, it's also one of those things that then like someone puts it in HR's realm. Yeah. And as soon as something goes into HR, apologies to anyone who's in HR who doesn't, you know, buck the trend, but HR is human resources, right? Like, what do you think happens? <laughs> You're not necessarily treated like a person. No. You're treated as, as a, a resource. human resource. And so, unfortunately, also, their job, which is their job, right, is to look after the best interests of the company when it comes to the resources of the people that work for it. And unfortunately, like a lot of the time, it's, it's going to be a business decision, not a people decision. Yeah. Whereas if we're making better decisions around people who are managing projects or who are managing people Mm -hmm. who are doing the work on a daily basis, this can be fixed through the way that we work, not through additional Mm -hmm. um, programs and initiatives, right? Which is also great from a management point of view as well. Exactly. It makes better leaders. It makes better managers. um, It keeps people wanting to work for the same company. And it means that we're actually looking at the things that make a difference, not making excuses for them. What is the purpose of Streamtime? Yeah, it, the purpose is to is to help creative businesses run a happier and healthier business, yep. you know, and that's the bit that we really do care about, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so if you if if you were to go and look at the, one of the competitors, often the communication or the positioning is around make more money, lose less money, right? It's it's productivity, it's utilization, it's all of those things we just talked about in terms of human resources, which mm-hmm. is like. Just milk, milk as much as you can out of every resource that you have and grow that margin, right? It's also deeply not creative. 
hundred percent. Yeah, you know, it, it, the, just we the idea that we can every project management software until we found Streamtime. Yeah, and it's like, oh, this has obviously been built for visual people and for creatives because it was just pleasurable yeah. to, to interact with, and it was like those little design choices that are actually quite delightful, and it's like creatives enjoy that yeah. because oh, this is not hard work this is a really just simple thing for me to do and i can see how it's helping the business as well we've had people like customers sign up just because of that yeah it's like it looks like something we should be using yeah yeah (laughs) it looks like they understand me yeah yeah Yeah. how much of the business um is made up of creative is it it all creative businesses that it's 80 percent probably um and then we've got like this uh, little segment that's been growing. It's not so little anymore, which is architects. Mm. It's got a lot of architects on the on the platform. Yeah. Well, they're creative too. They're they're creative. <laughs> um, they're on the whole, they're very similar businesses. Um, so yeah, so there's there's that, and then obviously there's more and more of the sort of advertising, digital, social um, types of agencies that are coming up at the moment in terms of like you know people pivot either pivoting to you know the way that the content world is moving to Mm. um um so yeah so you've really yeah you've really pulled all of your passions and love into into the one business yeah basically i have it's been it's It's part of that is quite selfish yes it's um there's no doubt that we take a lot of the work that never not creative mentally healthy does and Mm. it gets piled back into the product yeah um but for the right reasons you know Mm. like it's it's that kind of thing of we're in a position where we can help influence the types of decisions that creative businesses make. And I've been in creative businesses that haven't made those right decisions, you know, and for, for, not for want of like, I don't think for want of bad people, it's just because we've never been shown anything Mm. else, Mm. you know, and it's such a, it's such an industry that just perpetuates the past, right? Like, Mm. because someone who didn't know what they were doing, teaches somebody else and then they come in and do all the same things again and it's you know that's i guess that's a little bit extreme doesn't know what they're doing but we're all kind of have made it up as we go along Mm. and actually not a lot of that knowledge gets passed on and transferred in terms of the good stuff or like going can we do this better um yeah it's interesting moving from client side to managing creative businesses i mean how did you find that management experience because you didn't study management or anything like that no, I studied history and mm. media. I never, yeah, so the the thing is I was never taught how to manage and that did not help me, mm. right? Like whenever we put someone in a manager position, they need help, mm. you know? It's a completely different world. And now, so you know, it's taken me years and I'm, you know, I will always be constantly kind of apologetic of the people that probably worked for me during that t- period of time where I was doing things wrong but maybe learning, mm. And now feel I'm slightly better at it. But there's a big thing, I think, when it comes to management, which is understanding you've spent a lot of your life trying to prove things about you Mm. and getting to the top. And, you know, we create these ladders in our industry, which have got so many different rungs on them. Mm. Like all you're looking for is the next step. And it's not very collaborative, ironically, for an industry that really benefits from collaboration. Mm. And... We need to teach people more that once you're in any sort of position of responsibility for other people, it is now no longer about you. Mm. And in fact, whatever it is that your people do says speaks volumes about you, not your actions and not your own 
achievements. Mm. And I think that's the biggest thing that anyone can be told or can learn from like moving into that space. And so when you're, you know, building a team or when you're, it's like, get out of the way, mm. you know, support them. You're supposed to now be behind them. Mm. Yes, there's a certain amount of like leadership where you set vision and you, you know, get people excited about things, but ultimately you've got to be behind them and you've got to be helping lift them up. Um, not necessarily be right out in front dragging everyone with you. And I think that that's a really important balance that just people don't necessarily have communicated to them or sort of help them to understand when they get into those positions of managing or leading a team or a business. Yeah, whatever. it's no longer about you. It's yeah. not, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah it you're, takes you're a in a support to... role to be their champion and, and kind of that servant leadership mentality. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 12 years of... Hard, hard, hard lessons for, yeah. for us as well. I, just, I mean, it's the hard bit, especially in the creative industry as well, of like there's a lot of individual eccentricities, if you like, sure. right? It's a nice and way to put it. It's, it should be fine. And it's, I think you can also embrace it, but don't then get those people to do management jobs, mm. right? Like I, I think, I can't remember where we've done this. And in fact, I'm about to write a um, ad school lecture on management and well-being awesome and one of the things i'm gonna put in there is this concept of like and and there's a few people like on twitter talking about this concept of there's two actually two strands of growth and progression in a sort of creative role one is the more traditional you expect creative director now you've got a team of people blah 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 but actually there should be another one which is mm. just like you can still go up you can still earn more but you don't have to manage anyone which the tech right. industry does pretty well. Yeah, it's They've kind got of those individual collaborator uh, roles that sort of continue to go up, but and then you have the management sort of different. What do they call it? Different tracks. Yes. Yeah. 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 So you've you've kind of got one which is skill and craft. Yeah. And you've got one which is you know people in management. Yeah. And which are totally two. We different. should look at that as an industry. I hundred percent right? agree. Yeah. I've had I've seen creative directors. I didn't see this. Someone told me afterwards. I heard it. <laughs> Jump across a table and threaten to punch someone. In a meeting, you know, right. that person's amazing with ideas, comes up with great campaigns, mm. but, but should really not be shouldn't be in a room position. with another person. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it's just, it's things like that where we've got to go, well, look, the world needs their creativity and their smarts. It doesn't need their effect on other people. It needs their effect on the work. Mm. And that's where, you know, for too long, I think, you know, this creative industry is often kind of excuses things because it's all about the work. Mm. It's actually, no, again, it's, that's half. It's, yeah. it's the people and the work. And I feel so if like you've got people been a that shift can't do there. that. I think it's getting better, for sure. Particularly through COVID, I feel like there's been a big shift. At least, or maybe I'm just talking to more people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it is interesting to see how the work-life balance is super important. And I guess, you know, Paper Moves has a, a slightly different positioning in the industry around, you know, we're at B Corp and we're really focused on that work-life balance and all of that stuff. So I think the people we attract are probably focused on that as well. Um, but it is interesting. But you're becoming what should be the norm, hmm. right? Like that's what's so great about it. Yeah. You know, the fact it would be great if in five years time, B Corp wasn't even a thing, yeah. right? It's a hygiene like, factor. Like, I just, if I start a business, I've actually got to be, make sure I've done my business registration. <laughs> I've got my domain name, my B Corp stuff's in. It does no. seem stupid because you're like, oh, you care about the people within your business, the shareholders no and the planet, yeah. all the stakeholders. Like, <clears throat> yeah, of course we do. Why, why yeah. wouldn't you do that? It, it does seem stupid. Yeah. But um, there you are.
I've been really impressed with how reactive you are with, you know, we'll say, we'll put in suggestions for product features and, and then, you know, three months later, there'll be something there and it's like, oh, wow, they actually listened to what we were looking for. Not everything, that's just my... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's no, 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 clear, yeah. Well, uh, no, you're you, right. You were particularly reactive a few years ago, but uh, <laughs> when I imagined the business was smaller, but, um, we, but yeah, it's always constantly changing and ha- how do you stay on top of, I guess, you know, making the product as good as it can possibly be. Yeah, everyone just wants to always make things better in our business. And that's the beauty of it. I think if you want to make happier, healthier businesses, we can't just stop. We could stop, right? We could probably stop. We could probably run the business on about five people, make a ton of money and, you know, be swanning around France for six months a year, right? Um, and that could happen, but it, no one wants that to happen. Yeah. You know, we, we, actually, we enjoy making things. We enjoy making things better. And we will start to enjoy, I believe, the effect that we can start to prove we're having on businesses and the whole of mm. their, you know, performance rather than just the, you know, the utilization running good projects side of it. I'm going to enable it as soon as I walk out of this room. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> Honestly, and I, th- and I think that's, that's what keeps people going. Like people enjoy that. And, you know, the challenge of also growing a business. It's, it, I've, I am not as driven by this, but there are people in our business that are driven by the fact that they want our business to be bigger. And they want to be part of that. Um, someone said to me of how it's like, I'll only leave stream time when I can say that I can put it on my LinkedIn of like X, Airbnb, Google, stream time. Sure. Right? Like that kind of thing is like it meant something. Mm. Like we did, we achieved something. You made a dent. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, interesting. Have there been some difficult balancing acts with, you know, balancing purpose and commercial profitability? So, No. And I think that's the whole point of this podcast, right, as well? Like when you first broached the topic with me, I was thinking about it of just how I think it's very hard to start a business that starts with purpose Mm. and try to find a product that fits into it. Mm. Um, I'm sure it can be done. But I think once you've got that kind of successful business and then you go, how can it do good? I think there is an element of like it's certainly easier, right? Mm. So before I came on board, you know, it was project management software. It was a really good product, but that's all it was, right? Now it's this, can we, you know, maybe started stealthily, now it's not so stealthful, (laughs) help create happier, healthier businesses, like have a much more understanding of how businesses work and the mental health components of that and the, you know, the ability to thrive at work. We're building it, we're embedding it into something that already exists, Mm. you know? And so you, you mentioned it earlier, like it's not an extra thing to build in this happiness thing. It's actually just a no-brainer. Yeah. Why wouldn't you track that at the same time as tracking utilization, right? And so from that perspective, we don't need to compromise anything. And in fact, the work that we do in there is not an extra curricular thing. It's a make the product better mm. um, because that's the entire entirety of the product that we want to have. And so that's where I think you don't need to compromise commercial outcomes as a result. And I guess a customer that goes, oh, I don't really need to tick that box, probably not your customer anyway. No, our customer. Yeah, yeah, so we actually, we have these um, like cohorts, segments set up where we try and identify what type of customer they are at the mm. beginning. And it doesn't mean we rule anyone out necessarily, but it does mean that we talk to them differently mm. and we work out where they are on the journey to understanding of, you know, what type of business they want to create or evolve into. Because the beauty as well is, is that, you know, at the time of moving software, mm you are thinking about doing something different in your business. 
you know, apart unless, of course, you know, the, the software that you're using is on its way out. Workflow Max customers, although apparently there's a new one coming, but um, we've had quite a few inquiries recently oh, helping good. people coming across from, from Workflow Max. But We came across, never looked back. That's right, you're on Workflow yeah, Max. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, well, I don't know, apparently there's some, there's some promises being made around how it's going to be version two. Yeah, on the whole, it's that they're in a, a, a period and transition of change and looking to how they can make their business better. And so that's when that's a perfect opportunity for us to step in and go and go beyond, right? So I eventually, and I don't know how pie in the sky this becomes, but like Streamtime should just be a subscription or a membership, right? And it happens to have project management software, Mm. but it also has all this other stuff, right? So who knows? Do we offer some sort of EAP platform as a result, which I've actually had discussions about mm-hmm. at some point, which is, you know, if you're a smaller business, you can't afford an EAP, we'll build it into Streamtime. Awesome. Right? EAP, Employee Assistance I've Program, for, yep. for, <laughs> for anyone who doesn't know. But yeah, you know, and have the counseling opportunities alongside that, mm-hmm. right? That's not a solution, by the way. That's like ambulance at the bottom of the hill, but mm-hmm. it's good to have. The other thing that we could, that if you're part of that community, we can actually help benchmark your business better, right? So, you know, you're charging for this type of client for this amount of work X. You're about twenty percent below what you could be could be charging. Mm. Now imagine what you can do with that. Okay, that doesn't that that stuff that you can put. Let's say we'll take ten percent, stick it on the bottom line. Mm. We'll take ten percent and invest it back into people. Yeah. And so again, like these are the things that we want to be able to help with. And so, that, but that's not a long way off, mm. right? For you to be able to go like for. for it's not even necessarily at a top leadership level either. It might be you have an account manager planning the next job for a client. Mm. We can go, hey, by the way, did you know this client's margins like 30% below every other client in your business? Your people actually haven't been that happy on this. You might want to try a different team. Mm. and um, Or remove the client. Or remove the client, right? Yeah. And also, or even just easy things like this client hasn't paid the last three invoices, by the way, as you're just planning this mm-hmm. new job, right? So there's all that kind of coaching bit plus benchmarking some sort of data, right? right? And, you know, we could, we could publish that externally, but also we can open it up to you internally, obviously opt in to be able to kind of share, but it all, it's all anonymized. Mm. Um, but you never get that feedback running our types of businesses, yeah. right? You never get to compare. There's no like Nielsen supermarket scan to go yeah, how we perform like we, against we, somebody we else. We jump across to the pub and exchange notes on how much no. you're charging a client or anything like that. You can do. You could do, yeah. We're, we're actually I, about to set up. I feel a little up. bit like an island sometimes. Yes, but, yeah. and it's hard. Yeah. Um, so we're actually about to set up a pilot program where we invite, we're hoping to have like 12 or 13 business owners come together on a once a month forum, share <laughs> your data. Yeah, interesting. Anonymized, yep. of course. Yeah. And we'll help some benchmarking discussions. Um, so that's us and Design Business Council who mm. are out of Melbourne, mm. um, but big, big friends of ours, um, do a lot of work. Carol, who works there, actually sits on the, my board of Never Not Creative as well. Mm. And, um, but they work with lots of great businesses and agencies across the country. Mm. And uh, we just think we can help facilitate those conversations a bit more. So again, it like, if, you're, if your mission and purpose is about creating happier, healthier businesses, Software's not the only way to do it. Yeah. Right. And you so you can become this hub. Exactly. That's yeah. like if, you, if that's what you want to create with your creative business, mm. then we'll help you with it. Just we happen to have some software. We happen to have a consulting program. We happen to have the ability to opt into this data program. Um, and that becomes the opportunity mm. for, the, for the business. So, yeah, those are, are kind of exciting times, but they all come back to that purpose, mm-hmm. right? 
And in none of those do I have to compromise a commercial outcome. Yeah. So, so there is an interesting discussion which we've had with our owners, which is like, oh, so you're going to do that bit. Do you charge more for that? Now, sometimes yes, mm. right? But a lot of the time it's baked in. Mm. And really, you know, for us, it's that Streamtime is a subscription. And the more valuable that subscription, the more you pay. And mm. we have that conversation with customers. Everyone pays different, mm. right? Like there's not a price list. Mm. There's not a X amount per user. We'll have discussions with you about what's this worth. Mm. And we'll chat again in a year and go, are you doing better? Mm. Is it worth more? Do you want to pay a bit more? If you're doing worse, do you want to pay a bit less? Mm. You know, and, and these are things, again, it's purpose-driven. It, really, it doesn't really affect the commercial outcome. In fact, it affects the commercial outcome a lot more when you go per user-based pricing. If you're rigid, yeah. Because you, at any point in time, can take a user out of the system, mm. and now you're paying us less. We didn't do anything wrong. Yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, that's, that was a model, that, a model that we sort of pivoted from during COVID. Mm. Um, where we realized like we were helping businesses out left, right, and center. A lot of the times it's like, hey, I just can't afford this. You want to cancel? And it's like, oh, look, we're doing it hard. You're doing it hard. We'll go 50-50 on your subscription. Mm. You know? And we did that with a bunch of businesses during yeah, the awesome. time. And it was hard. It led to some hard decisions on our side as well, but it was the right thing to, to do um, because that's what we wanted to try and achieve. So again, I don't feel like being purpose-driven, you have to compromise. And I guess your success is so tied into the success of the businesses that you're helping as well. Yeah. So you want to fuel there. Yeah. Yeah. I want to be able to say, like, even like with you guys, let's say we turn this, this, the happiness part on tomorrow. Mm. You join the program. Um, in a year's time, we come back and we go, hey, do you feel happier and healthier in this business? Mm. Then we've done our job. Yeah, 100%. talked about brand what, what about the streamtime brand and and building brands like how important do you think that is brand is very important people's definitions of brand vary wildly <laughs> yeah what i loved about what streamtime or love about what streamtime has become is that it started with product mm. and it made everything a hundred times easier so if you were to read i'm pretty sure it's still up there somewhere the for the people case study so that so basically my journey with streamtime started with for the people Aaron, who was the owner of Streamtime, pitched to four the people. Literally, I walked into his office and he gave me a presentation. Mm. Unheard of. Mm. Um, said, I want you to work on our business. What will it take? And, <laughs> you know, that's where it started. And then we did all this work on going, like, we have to fix a problem. And the thing that was going to fix the problem was the product. Mm. You know, back then there was still timesheets. There was still, you know, it's a pain in the ass. No one wants to do this. It's soul sucking. And we said, we want to fix that problem. Like he was moving to the cloud. Yep. That was the reason. And we wanted a brand to go on top of it. But at that point, a brand was like a design and an aesthetic. Mm. And we were like, well, we, just, we feel like it's the same stuff. And so therefore it's not solving any new problems mm. or old problems. And that's where we did a lot of work. And we said, look, you know, we want to solve this timesheet issue. Everyone hates them. And, and I, I, ironically... Because people hate them, the data that go into them is garbage. And so the data you get out is garbage and the decisions you make are garbage, right? So it's and not so a useful product. Yeah. What is the point? What's the point? Yeah, yeah. There is a whole yeah. industry here that is lying to itself. Yeah. And, and people still try to lie to themselves. I don't get it. We've had customers go, oh, how can I um, delete this so it doesn't show up on the job? 
what? You yeah, did yeah. it already. <laughs> so, yeah, so that's where it started. And so it started with solving a problem. And the product was designed then to solve that problem. So, you know, what started as a brand job actually very quickly turned into us designing the product, mm-hmm. but really designing the solution to the problem. Yep. And really brands should be solutions to problems. Okay. So that's where the brand part of it, and it's almost like at the end, we got to this point where we designed this great product. We've done a lot of testing. We'd, we'd been through everything. And then we went, oh, what's it look like? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was the last thing. Is there a logo? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I, I think Aaron what's literally said, what's the logo? And we're like, oh, yeah. And we, we let, did the logo in an afternoon. Yeah. People chucking ideas up on walls. And we're like, remember, I remember being in that session where it's like, geez, normally this is the other way around. Hmm. And it therefore meant that the brand was a true reflection of everything we did rather than a separate exercise. I mean, that's a small organization that you were able to <laughs> really influence. Often we don't have that luxury um, when we're working with clients. But what, what do you think is that magic mercurial uh, ingredients that, that allow for that type of um, experience? I think you've got to work on stuff that directly affects whatever the transactional nature is of someone's experience with the company, mm. right? Like that ultimately says more about a brand than anything else. Mm. And I and don't get me, like I've spent years working as a brand consultant, right? I've been in pitches, I've been in presentations to boards and CEOs saying, put brand at the heart of your business. And when we started for the people, we said, I think we've got this the wrong way around. Mm. If I put brand at the heart of the business, there is a theoretical logic there that is correct but is almost impossible to operationalize yep and so when it gets to the point where actually you know what this is the sum of a whole bunch of parts yeah and those parts are sometimes transactional a lot of the times transactional and so if we can start to influence each of those different transactions and touch points that someone's having Mm. then we can start to actually build a brand or have a brand that reflects the type of promise um, and purpose that we want to bring as a as a company, and so you know, I think if you want a a, a better example of like really large than Telstra, mm. when um, David Thody was at the helm, and when Interbrand did the big rebrand of Telstra, it was supported by a whole bunch of other things. Mm. Now, I don't think Telstra has that anymore, um, but it was supported by an absolute dedication to customer satisfaction Mm. and that made a huge difference right so literally telstra execs were bonused on nps um and you know how customers talked about the the brand and um reflected on their experiences with the the services that they had every single touch point exactly you know we've talked a lot about mentally healthy but Mm. and you've gone through your own personal journey there how do you manage um your stress I converted my garage. That helped massively. Uh, into what? <laughs> into my office. Okay, yep. So half half the garage is is my office. The other half is what you expect, lawnmowers and birthday present boxes. And so that helped because I need my space, you know, because it's not only, I think, you know, that time when that happened, I'd also had my third child and it just added to everything. And so having my own space, but also having a sort of culture and community around me that could allow me to be myself and trust in and feel support from was big. And you feel 
belonging from that as well. And there was much more, I think, of a sort of this feeling of like everyone's got each other's back. Mm. So that's, I guess that's one, that's one part of it. Exercise always makes such a big difference to me. Mm. Football, community, you know, all of that makes a big difference. And then like Never Not Creative, which is now a nonprofit, which is now, you know, really the backbone of all of the work outside of stream time that I do um, is purpose, 100% purpose driven Mm. and being able to go, look, there's things I know I did in the past that weren't great. Mm. This is like, how can I help other people not make those mistakes? How can we address some of the things that aren't being addressed? That's what Never Not Creative is for. And there's, of course, there's a feel good. Yeah, I, I think the other bit about like purpose and commercial outcome is there's also an individual outcome, which is like, don't feel guilty for hmm. making yourself feel good because you did something good. Yeah, yeah. There is a bit on, which is quite an interesting proposition, I guess, which is with Never Not Creative, where quite a few people have said like, why don't you just turn that into a business and do that? And I'm like, I don't, there's a part of me, and I guess over time I'll probably come at peace with this, that I don't think I should make any money from it, <laughs> which is wrong, mm. actually, mm. if you think about all the things we just discussed. You're talking about valuing. And so we have, you know, there's a few things that we charge for now, but it, all that money goes straight back into doing more. Mm. And, you know, yes, there's things where the amount I think I've learned over the last few years of doing this is probably valuable, mm. right? And so I've had conversations with businesses around rolling out programs Mm. but i'm not there yet and but i do think maybe yes there's something in the future around around that and what never not creative can become and do um we might have a partnership coming up with a a large creative awards company Mm. um that you know will help kind of expand some of the programs that we do so we have there's three programs about to start in the next few weeks um circles is a mental health support program so we've got about three or four groups starting in that we've got here now which is for black indigenous and people of color starting out on their careers in the creative industry and um allies which is the how can men support women and other uh, genders at work better tough sell (laughs) try try getting a whole bunch of men going yes please i'd like to help uh, they're all. They'll all say yes. I'd yeah, like right. to help, or I'd like to be a part of that. Whether they then, you know, actually follow up. through with that. Exactly. That's interesting. Um, Particularly after the Create Space ACA um, piece. Well, really, that should be the opportunity, yeah. right? Like that. That should be. Surely, that's the spark. That that should be a spark. I think it's also the thing of like, I think what we appeal to is that we're men doing it, mm. right? So there are times, and quite rightly. There should be where I don't want to use the word aggressive isn't the right word, but it's quite combative, the sort of the female drive, right? Because and and right, like the women have to stick up. They've had to put up with a lot of shit. They have to get together and like rally around each other mm. and support and hold each other up. But that way of doing that proposition doesn't gel with men because mm. it's easy then for men who are sort of on the periphery to just go, well, that's not me. Mm. And so what we're after is the men who go, well, okay, yeah, that's not me, but also I'm not doing anything about it either, Yeah, right? And so I could I'd be doing see something, something yeah. and I go, oh, that's not quite right, is it? But what am I going to do? Mm. I don't want to say the wrong thing. I don't want to lose all my mates. I don't want to, you know, be ostracized. Mm. I still want to be one of the lads. What do I do? And that's what Allies is for. It's like, actually, you can do stuff and you'll be surprised there's so many Giving people. Giving them the tools to be able to help. Yeah, there's yeah. so many people who are thinking that. 
Um, I did a podcast last year with Zach Seidler, who is a psychologist at Movember, mm. and but does a lot of work in men's mental health, domestic abuse, and, and suicide. And he talked about this great concept of the perception gap. And it's that idea that if you speak up, you will be ostracized. And actually, what you'll find is if you speak up, other people will speak up. Mm. And well, it's, everyone else was thinking the they same were thing. Thinking anyway. it as well. Yeah. Exactly. So there's a whole bunch of people that are actually thinking something, mm. whereas you think it's only you thinking it. Yeah. And so being able to sort of tap into that is what we do. So we create these groups where you can talk about this stuff, you can make mistakes. There's, there isn't a woman there to like judge you straight away. It's like, oh God, I said the wrong thing. Yeah. Like you can say the wrong thing to us first, test it out, and then we'll help you help you out, have that conversation later. Um, and also, you know, and there's, there's so much good stuff to read around this. I'm reading a book at the moment called Just Work, mm. which is great around to, you know understanding this kind of equality and equity issue within businesses and some of the things where it's just like hey it's not black or white like you know you can't just because you say the wrong thing doesn't mean suddenly you you know you're prejudiced or you're you know a bigot or like whatever it is right mm-hmm. like you don't need to be labeled like that um, yeah. we all have we shouldn't biases. be labeling anyone that's the point yes yeah. so we all have biases and it's like understand you can change bias that's fine yes if there's prejudice that's an issue um, and that's something that needs to be uh, tackled more directly. Mm. But, you know, these are, so these are the types of things that we, we sort of talk about in these sessions. And, you know, one of those is, is reflecting on how you got to where you did as a, you know, as a white, white bearded yeah. cat. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a massive cliche sat in yeah. Surrey Hills. We both are, yeah. uh, <laughs> I just need my hat. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and so, yeah. And, but also now we've got the chance to use that privilege for, for better, you know, like recognize mm. it, go, look, I can't change what, where I've come from, what I've done, but I can maybe have been more supportive um, in future and, and be a vehicle help, of change. Yeah. Help yeah. make sure that not everyone has to go through that. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. And how do you um, then apply that into your culture at Streamtime? Yeah. We're, I mean, we're pretty lucky. Like we've made, we make very, um, I guess, conscious efforts to make sure that, you know, people are included. We actually, but then we won't always get it right. So we had a discussion like a couple of weeks ago, in fact, on a, a, like a big global monthly call that we have where I said, you know, what, I feel like we've dropped the ball on a few things recently. So for example, it was pride. Now we didn't do anything for pride, but some people, you know, would have attended, gone to Oxford street, done the um, festivities and stuff, but like we didn't do anything as a company and then International Women's Day came around. It was like, oh, should we do something as a company? It's like, well, wait a minute. We didn't do anything for that. How do we decide? Mm, mm, mm. And so those kinds of discussions, I think, are things that we want to be able to talk about more as a business. Yeah. And, but we want to be able to support the people in our business to be who they are. And so I think what it is is like we don't want to let to, to, for people to feel like they have to hide who they are. Mm. But at the same time, I don't want to, we don't want to put the pressure on someone to go, oh, you're gay. So can you do all this for Pride, please? Or yeah, yeah. you're a woman. Can you yeah. do all this for International Women's Day, please? It's actually the job of people who aren't any of those things it to go, be the men doing it. do you want yeah. to understand better what this is all about? Yeah. Because then you've got Diwali, Ramadan, like mm. all, all, so many things you could do. There's literally a day every year, isn't uh, the day every week where you could do some sort of big celebration. So we haven't resolved that fully, but what we did sort of agree was that if there's something that you feel strongly about that you think reflects better, we'd love to understand more about it. And mm. so 
you know, you don't have to go and <laughs> do some great big event. Yeah. But we can have a chat that week. I think it's also where, sharing culture. Exactly. And, yeah, yeah. Where, you know, people might be really interested in that. Mm. And so, like, tell us more about it. Yeah. So, yeah, so that's, that's one thing that we've, that we've looked at. Is that more difficult that you're a decentralized business now as well? Because you don't have those, you know, yeah, in-office moments? Yeah, we don't have, like, the big get-together. Yeah. Um, yes, it's a, little bit, it's a little bit harder, but then at the same time, I think what that kind of remote piece has done has meant that we have to be more specific. Mm-hmm. So you actually have to be more deliberate in what you do as a team. Yeah. Um, so things do have to come up and you have to talk about them. But again, not always perfect. The global monthly call, if everyone's been working really hard, is a hard one to kind of stick in the diary. We just we were meant to have one on Tuesday. We've moved it to next week. So yeah, so that does become hard. And also, yeah, I think we we did an International Women's Day thing last year where Never Not Creative actually has this great platform called Never Not International Women's Day. Mm. It is literally 25 talks, I think, um, from people talking about it should never not be International Women's Day until... Mm. So rather than get anyone in your company to go and do a talk or put a presentation together, don't worry, we've got it all. Just pick a video to watch as a team and off you go. And it runs, literally streams 24-7. And um, so we watched one of those videos last year and it was pretty good. We watched as a team, we had some chats, but because it was also kind of remote, it was a little bit more awkward. It meant that when some issues did come up, they couldn't be fully resolved by video. Mm. And so I think, yeah, if you're trying to have those types of conversations with your team's company, it's very hard to do that stuff remotely. Do you think you'll stay remote now? Like, or, or do you think at some point you might end up coming back into the office? We do do a little bit more now of like, so our owners have offices in the, in the city. So mm. every couple of weeks we go in and use, use them or anyone's allowed to go in and use them. An actual office isn't on the cards mm. the idea of a space there was a there were, we had a few um conversations about potentially getting a space at the powerhouse where we could actually it was really really cheap <laughs> <laughs> and um it was just like if anyone ever wants to come in you can just use it so i do think and mm. I, I haven't seen any examples of it yet but there is there was a lot of suggestions that these sort of hybrid working spaces might start to emerge where yeah. you don't need a full office but you've got a dedicated space mm. i do think that's the most likely if we were to do anything. So we, we rent a smaller space, which isn't 100% occupied all the time, mm. but is like a place for you to go. We've got a couple of desks, you know. <laughs> this room's perfect. Yeah, 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 done. Yeah, it's definitely something that, you know, we've, we've toyed with all mm. the different permeations of what it could be. Um, we're like two days in the office and then three days flexible. Yeah. And then if you, like any kind of, collaborative task we encourage that to be in the office and then anything else is super flexible yeah. Yeah. but i i mean you know i'm an <laughs> an outgoing um extrovert so i'm always in the office uh, yeah, right. and then other people are just you know not that so it's and it's about adapting to leaders set the tone types. for that yeah. right like so i'm not yeah i love <laughs> my cave <laughs> yeah. yeah and so i don't drive people into the office yeah and therefore at the same time i actually have to try and work harder at mm. it i think the the thing that we haven't quite figured out is how do you also enable those sparks and those moments between cross-functional yeah so i feel like during covid the business became quite siloed yeah and, and now breaking down those silos has been really a focused yeah. um a, a focus of the leadership team um and and 
you know, having those ideas of, you know, a developer has this cracker idea for a campaign that we, yeah. you know, and having all of those really interesting perspectives yeah. of these business problems that we're trying to nut through. Um, I don't, I don't know what the answer is, but yeah. 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 I mean, maybe some of it, you, I think you can just build into process. Mm. Like you just go, you know what? It doesn't have to be a day of the week. It can be like the beginning of a job Yeah, where you just get everyone in. We still sing it for the people where it's like, at three times during the project, I would ask everyone for the answer. Yeah. Sometimes, like the first time was like two or three days in. Mm. What's the answer? You know, <laughs> what are we doing here? We don't have to stick to it, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, but it just means that everyone, like, because we had developers, designers, strategists, mm. account people at the beginning, um, everyone has an opportunity to get some thoughts out of their, Which is their awesome. head. Yeah. And I think, yeah, sometimes building that into, into process. We're about to do a research piece at the moment um, for them, not creative and mentally healthy, into the systems. What are we calling it? Systems, symptoms, and signals around the processes and structures within agencies and relationships with clients as well hmm. that are leading to poor mental health outcomes. So you know, literally understanding the way that we work hmm. and what is it that is working and not working. Um, so you know, we have that kind of quantitatively from the. The big study but now it's like deep dive interviewing with businesses interesting um and it should be really really cool um it's hard because yeah people thrive in different you know like if i push a bunch of people into a massive brainstorm yeah some people will thrive and other people won't and so it's designing different situations for different people to ensure that you're getting the best outcome all of these things like people work in such different ways but then we try and get them to conform into our own ways of doing things yeah. or, or a universal way of doing things that our company does yeah it must be an art director copyrighted duo exactly yeah, exactly yeah. and so just it's like really part i think part of the thing that we will find is how do companies better embrace people as individuals if you want them to do their best work yeah and get everyone to start to understand that so we did a thing at Streamtime recently where we we did the like the personalities test thing but we also got everyone to fill out a survey of like you know, how they work, what they're worried about, what they're trying to achieve, where they'd mm. like to be in five years' time, this kind of stuff. And we've put it all into Notion. And there's literally a who I am database of everyone in our company so that when anyone new joins, you kind of get this like, oh, who are they? What are they trying to achieve? How can I help them? How will they be able to help me? Mm. Um, what, how do they like working? Yeah. You know, what do I how need do to like be wary feedback? of? Exactly. Yeah. Because you know, can you imagine you like joining a company now that was actually remote or you know part remote yeah and trying to become part of the team yeah how hard be would hard. that be super hard yeah yeah so those are the things that we just they're different challenges for now but mm. we have to think about awesome andy yeah uh and just to close off i guess what what advice would you give to your, your 20 year old self it's not all about you andy <laughs> <laughs> honestly like i i thought it was all about getting to the top of the ladder as quick as you can and it's not, mm. it's not, you know, it's, it's about being able to do meaningful work that you enjoy with other people and knowing, having, having confidence and trust in the fact that you'll grow as a person by doing that. Yeah. There's a lot of people still, you know, driven by individual success. You know, we've sort of built that society mm. so much more rewarding the other way. You find your meaning in your purpose and you work out who you want to be is a is a big opportunity for the future and yes if i had my time again i would have done that earlier awesome andy thank you so cool. much for joining us thanks mate paper moose in the bunker thank you very much cheers cheers <laughs>
Thank you everyone for listening to The Mucky Metal. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed having the conversation. And if you did, then drop us a review on iTunes or wherever you happen to be listening. We'll see you next month for another episode, but in the meantime, we hope you'll keep walking that fine line between profit and our planet. The Mucky Metal is a Paper Moose production. Music and sound mix by Caleb Jacobs. <laughs>